Hello, and welcome to Faith Outside the Box, where we share faith journeys that take us in unexpected directions. I'm your host, Jan Engmeyer. Lydia Talbot is a veteran leader in Chicago religious broadcasting. She has produced, written, edited, and hosted television programs on every major Chicago station. After serving as Director of Broadcasting for the Church Federation of Greater Chicago, she founded the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries in 1991. Take us back to your childhood in Indianapolis. What's your earliest memory of church, Lydia? Well, my spiritual home as a child and teenager gave me the chance to understand that faith without action is no faith at all, a lesson I learned as a high school guidance counselor for inner city black children in Indianapolis that inspired my first career as a teacher of English and guidance counselor at Lucy Flower Vocational High School on Chicago's West Side. But in church as a child, I vividly remember that my father, Egbert Hildreth, was a kind, gentle, and loving man whose sense of duty and discipline were deeply rooted in religious faith that was never judgmental or self-righteous. His family of academics conveyed a quiet kind of religious sensibility and respect for the dignity of all people. Daddy served as a deacon and elder in the Irvington Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis and was the smoothest, most sparkling, soul-filled tenor in the choir. I can still hear him sing, this is these are the words. Um, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, near to the heart of God. O thou who waits before us, near to the heart of God. So it was those were early childhood remem- uh, remembrances that I had growing up in the church where Earl and I were married. (laughs) Oh, well, do tell us, share the story of how you met your husband, Earl. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, Earl was a senior at Wabash College, and I was 18, a freshman at Butler University in Indianapolis. And our pledge class decided to to do a, a, a walkout. Uh, in those days, we did those kinds of things, and we hired a bus that took us to Crawfordsville, Indiana. Um, it was all very proper. We stayed in the farmhouse of one of the uh, girl's parents, Carolyn Allhands was her name. And uh, the next day, we drove over to the Lambda Chi house at Wabash College because one of our friends, uh, our girlfriends, uh, Norma Jo Colby was her name, um, was uh, dating one of the pledges at Earl's fraternity, and they did not have a car, but Earl had brought a car down from Chicago, and they thought if they could get us uh, together to start dating, they would have transportation (laughs) to see one another uh, between Indianapolis and Crawfordsville. Um, Well, as I was playing bridge with my husband, Uh, at the card table there at the Lambda Chi house, and I had no clue how to play bridge. I was bluffing my way through, but just as I trumped his ace, I said, oh, are you a pledge too? 
And <laughs> uh, and all the guys jumped up and said, oh, oh, Miss um, Talbot, uh, this is Earl Talbot. He's the president of our fraternity and a senior, graduating senior this year. And so we we still got together. He did ask me out. And Norma Cho and, and uh, George Buffano was his name, got married. And we got married in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> After Earl completed four years or three years at law school, and I had graduated from Butler, so um, that's quite that a story <laughs> about the Irvington Presbyterian Church. But you know, um, Jan, uh, you ask about my my faith as a child. Um, I just I recall writing a statement of faith for the. Um, Chicago Sunday Evening Club's 30 Good Minutes program uh, on Channel 11. And uh, this is some years ago. I did host that show for about 20 years. And uh, I recall that um, uh, it was, you know, in the Statement of Faith, I happened to find a copy of my files. And if you'd like, I might share a bit with you. Sure, that'd be great. I started out with uh, saying, have you ever thought about what happens when you touch a spider web? Touch one part and the whole part quivers. Lutheran theologian Joseph Sittler saw it as a metaphor for the connective power of divine mystery in our lives, an image much like that revealed to the missionary Dr. Albert Schweitzer while sitting in a boat on a river in Africa. In a transforming revelatory moment, he was suddenly aware of his place in the world and his connection with all of life. Well, that sense of revelation comes to most Christians through the central event of Jesus Christ. But for many who are open and receptive, it can be experienced through the other events and other messengers as well at the least expected times during moments of intense suffering and loss. We all know the agony of losing someone we love a friend, a parent, a spouse, a child. Some feel it in solidarity with oppressed people around the world, but discovering God's presence in the midst of that suffering or loss can be a kind of epiphany. And more than 50 years ago, my own life was changed through the connection with a family who had chosen affirmation and hope in response to their own suffering and loss. Reverend Jim Kidd and his wife, Joanne, were serving the Wellington Avenue United Church of Christ on Chicago's north side. Their two sons, Bruce and Peter, had cystic fibrosis. Bruce was 14 when he died, Peter 21. The boys knew what they had, but they also had come to grips with the givenness of their disease. Once, when Bruce was about 10 years old, he asked his father about dying, and Jim's answer was simple. You can trust God with your life, and you can trust God with your death. The explanation seemed to be enough, and the frail child, with the radiant smile that I can still see, went outside to play. Sustained by faith and love, he and his brother had embraced the reality of their own death. The Kidd family were not Stoics. They were not cynics. They were people of faith who could say yes to life, to all of life, to the good and the bad, the joy and the pain. 
They could celebrate death as a part of the dance of life. They saw the glass not half empty, but half full. They conveyed an approach to life that enabled everyone who shared their story to open up to the simple act of giving and receiving love and grace. They gave the community a text for understanding the relationship between security and compassion in a Good Friday world. And through that connection with that community of faith at Wellington Church, I discovered the meaning of authentic faith grounded and rooted in love. Faith that doesn't stop at the cross, but goes beyond compassion for the crucified Christ, for those who suffer, for loved ones who have died. Faith that says, a mighty fortress is my God, not my job or my nation, not the stock market, not even my life, my spouse, my child. Faith that demands a loyalty to the resurrected Christ, a no to racism and injustice, a halt to nuclear arms, a home for the homeless, a faith that knows the cost of discipleship in a public square where attitudes of win, lose, succeed, fail, us against them are the name of the game. A faith transmitted by voices who are open to the revelation and reality of unexpected and soul-saving mystery. The kind revealed in E.M. Forrester's Passage to India by Peggy Ashcroft as Mrs. Moore, who says, life rarely gives us what we think appropriate. Nevertheless, adventures do occur, though not punctually. And in many respects, my work as director of broadcasting for the Church Federation of Greater Chicago came to me in that way as an unexpected gift, a chance to continue a more than 30-year legacy that was with the Church Federation that preceded the broadcast ministries um, of communicating issues and ideas at the intersection of life and faith. And in April of 1986, Reverend Benjamin Weir appeared on one of our broadcasts to interpret the cultural and religious roots of Middle East terrorism related to his captivity by uh, Shiite uh, fundamentalists. He and his wife, Carol, were missionaries in Lebanon for 30 years. Shortly after his release, their daughter, Anne, was killed in a bus accident in Egypt, where she was a teacher. The picture projected by the Weirs was a powerful icon of forgiveness and compassion for those who had caused them to suffer for almost a year and a half. In an imperfect world bent on hatred and retaliation, Carol and Benjamin Weir proclaimed the story of two people sustained by faith, celebrating their humanness by giving and receiving love in the midst of intense pain and loss. Jim Kidd and his family, like the Weirs, understood the relationship of security to compassion. Because they sought security in the eternal, they could live with the insecurities of this temporal life go on loving amid a sea of pain and violence and living with hope when everything around them seemed to be deteriorated. Theirs is a message of affirmation that gave me personally the strength when my own brother, Dick, was killed suddenly in a plane crash. Theirs is a story that challenges us all to be voices that sensitize and nourish Voices that convey what it means to be human. Voices that tell the simple story of God's love in a fallen world. 
voices that remember what is always available to us, the achievement of a whole, a kind of circumference, the kind that Emily Dickinson, my favorite poet, knew each time she completed a, a poem, a sense of fulfillment through art, despite the abysses, the shaking bridges, the locked doors, the endless moments of separation and loneliness. Like Emily's bird on a daring ark, we are called to be an extension of the church's mission, to save, to heal, to offer a vision of hope, and thereby serve the whole human family, to widen our circle of compassion as instruments that reveal the mystery of God's love manifested in human life, to think on the whole, the circumference, and the sum of the divine story that connects us like a quivering web and redeems us all. That was from 1989, my statement of faith for the Sunday Evening Club's 30 Good Minutes on Channel 11. That's absolutely wonderful, Lydia. What a powerful statement that you've made. When you first came to Chicago, you found a spiritual home at Wellington Avenue United Church of Christ. Um, how did you find it and why did it appeal to you? Well, actually, Jan, that's a fascinating story because it makes me think of how we uh, how we discovered uh, Wellington United Church of Christ. Uh, we were living a couple of blocks away from the church, and uh, on a Saturday night, the church housed the Chicago City Players, which is a theater company. And we went to the theater on a Saturday night, saw a wonderful play, and afterwards, Jim Kidd, whom I mentioned earlier, Reverend Kidd, sat on the edge of the stage to lead play discussions about what you know the audience had seen and its relation to um, underlying religious themes. And that was how we discovered Wellington on a Saturday night at the theater. And we thought, oh, this looks great. And uh, we decided to go on a Sunday morning. And we've been going ever since. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's great. So that is uh, many years. But uh, the church has a profound uh, uh, impact on our lives and our family. So you were a teacher on Chicago's West Side during the turbulent 1960s. How did that experience shape your faith? I loved my students. Uh, this was an all-Black high school, Lucy Flower High School on the Chicago's West Side. I, uh, <laughs> I at that time, uh, learned how to drive in Chicago. I We were married in 64, but I was still learning how to get around in Chicago. And I drove out to the school um, on West Side. Uh, it, was, it was near uh, uh, Garfield Park Conservatory. And uh, it was a school for uh, girls, young women only. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a rare opportunity to be with these youngsters, uh, many of them who had suffered a great deal uh, uh, with their families, uh, hunger, poverty. And um, I recall uh, when Martin Luther King came to Chicago, he came to the West Side, and it was such an inspiration to see the impact of 
king on the real life uh, conditions that my students there at uh, Flower. I still am in touch with one of my students whose name is Mary Scott Borio. She's a grandmother now. Mary Scott and I uh, communicate on Facebook. And um, I was amazed to learn on Facebook all these years later. She said on Facebook that I had saved her life. I couldn't believe oh my that. Goodness. I, I mean, I didn't know that. I just cared for these youngsters. I cared for them. I, you know, I, when I started teaching English there, before I became a guidance counselor, uh, I realized that I just threw the, I should just throw all the theory I learned in college out the window and start where these kids were, uh, what was going on in their lives from day to day. And uh, so we, we started with uh, that kind of thing uh, in our reading, uh, Lorraine Hansberry, Raisin in the Sun. Uh, we would read that play together aloud. Many of these kids couldn't read or write, and yet they were still in high school. Um, but it was an extraordinary experience, a great impact on my life that I will always be grateful for. So then how did you come to the Church Federation of Greater Chicago, which then became the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries? That's a great question. It was in the basement of Wellington United Church of Christ, our church home by then. And uh, it was in the basement. Of, there was a meeting going on, and um, I was there. Uh, Reverend Fred Trout um, was with the Chicago uh, uh, UCC, United Church of Christ offices. And uh, he came up to me and he said, Lydia, I want you to come on the, uh, on the board of the Church Federation of Greater Chicago. Well, I said yes, and I attended some meetings and I discovered that the Church Federation had an extraordinary uh, broadcasting program um, uh, which actually the impetus for their work in broadcasting on the on the television stations in Chicago, uh, you'll be surprised to learn that the impetus came not from uh, uh, the community or the churches, but it came from the requirements of the FCC, the uh, Federal Communications Commission to provide so many hours of public service time on television. So that's how we got started. And um, I became the host of then uh, a weekly show on Channel 5 called Everyman. And uh, we won uh, a lot of prizes for that show, and had some wonderful guests and stories. And uh, that was the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> of me leaping over from teaching to uh, television. <laughs> so how did the Federation then become the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries? The Federation dissolved. It closed its doors, ran out of money. And when it dissolved, um, uh, some of the board members 
decided that the uh, churches who were giving to the uh, Federation would create a new entity called Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries. And so most of them came on over. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was really the beginning of our broadcast ministries. And it, it continues today. It's extraordinary under the wonderful leadership now and in my retirement, uh, the wonderful leadership of Eric Deacons. And Eric had been our senior producer. We'd worked together at least 40 years, and uh, it's in very good hands. Indeed, it is. So tell us who were some of your favorite guests and uh, your most memorable interviews. Jim Wall, uh, Dr. James Wall, uh, who had been publisher of the Christian Century magazine for 27 years, was a regular uh, attendee on our programs, along with Bruce Bursma. Bruce was with the uh, Chicago Tribune, and uh, both were extraordinary journalists uh, and people of faith. And we would do uh, uh, every month a uh, monthly review of news in religion together. Well, I also understand that you interviewed President Jimmy Carter at one time. How did that come about? And what was that experience like? That came about because Jim Wall was very active in uh, presidential politics. And he was uh, uh, certainly... Uh, um, connected with Jimmy Carter. And it was through Jim Wall that Jimmy Carter uh, came to our broadcast on NBC uh, and we discussed his newly uh, written book called The Blood of Abraham. He was so interested uh, and actively involved in peace efforts in the Middle East. Uh, so that was my first meeting with Jimmy Carter. I would later uh, interview him in Atlanta, who was a religious producers kind of meeting out there. And uh, he became a guest on uh, for me in a one-on-one -on -one interview. And I had the delightful opportunity to do an interview at the same time with Rosalind Carter, whom you know recently died. Uh, she was so gracious and, and lovely. And I asked her how she and her husband dealt uh, with the political reality of slings and arrows, you know, um, by people who opposed them. And she said it's something that she'd learned in Sunday school, uh, to wear a coat of armor. <laughs> that protected them um, emotionally uh, uh, and physically uh, from those who disagreed with their political positions. But what a beautiful couple. They had quite the love story and quite the political story, too. Lydia, thank you for letting us walk with you on your faith journey. And for our listeners, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review, and most importantly, tell your friends.
Go to gcbm.org for all the links. Faith Outside the Box is a production of the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries, a communications ministry of the Protestant, Orthodox, and Episcopal Churches of Greater Chicago in cooperation with the Council of Religious Leaders. I'm your host, Jan Engmeyer. May peace be with you.